Good afternoon, everybody. Uh, my name is Jan van Skyk, and um, I would like to welcome you to the 46th Writing and Concepts Lecture, a series in which I invite artists and writers to speculate on the role that writing plays in the development of concepts in their practice. Can everyone hear me up the back? Above the horse racing helicopters. Um, before we get started, I'd like to acknowledge the traditional inhabitants of the land that we're sitting on. They are the Boonarung people of the Kulin Nation. I'd like to bring it to your attention that that land was stolen from them and in acts of violence coinciding with an act of genocide which is ongoing in various forms today. And if you're wondering what can be done about that, I urge you to write to federal ministers, your local member and others, and urge them to, at the very least, acknowledge that these things took place, which they currently don't. On a lighter note, perhaps, <clears throat> I'd like to introduce Patrice Sharkey, who has been the director of Westspace since 2015, where she has curated the group exhibition Real Life Fantasies and commissioned the solo projects Dear Masato, All at Once, Get a Life, The Only Thing That Cuts Across the Species Is Death by Lisa Radford, and My Parents Met at the Fish Markets by Jason Fu, which is currently showing mm -hmm. until... The 9th of, December, 9th of December. Until the 9th of December at Westpace. Patrice completed a Bachelor of Arts majoring in Art History at the University of Melbourne and has been an assistant curator at Monash University Museum of Art, where she co-curated keynote survey exhibitions that track watershed moments in art throughout the 20th century and coordinated solo projects by Fiona Connor and Simon Starling. Patrice has been published in Art Monthly Australia and Discipline. She's a previous member of Unmagazine's Advisory Committee and was a board member of the artist-run space TCB Art Incorporated between 2012 and 15. Please welcome Patrice. Thank you. Thanks, Jan, and thanks everyone for being here. Um, okay. So it's going to kind of weave in and out between things, so just hopefully it's, it'll go in somewhere that makes sense by the end. Um, I titled this talk, it was a bit of a joke at the time, a bit of a last-minute decision, but Essential Selection Criteria, Excellent Communication Skills. My thinking being, I guess this series has been about, pitched very loosely around writing and concepts, and I guess for me, writing as a published form is very secondary to what I do, so... I guess uh, curatorial practice is much more about um, exhibition making. So I started just thinking about um, communication as a tool in a more broader sense. So, um, well, and, and yeah, as a key strategy in building my curatorial practice. So, um, you know, that very practically from um, the way I work with artists, but just more of a, um, the conceptual kind of side of that about telling a story through an exhibition. Um, and I guess it's something I've been thinking a lot more about since I've been at West Bay. So my background or my kind of study was working as an assistant curator at MAMA, so much more of a like traditional museum space um, with institutional... It's, it's, uh, it's a pretty flexible space, but it has an institutional format. Um, and so one of the kind of... Um, things I was excited about coming to West Space was being able to be in like a younger, more dynamic space that can kind of challenge those formats um, and how like communication as a tool through different mediums works for that. Am I going all right with this? Yeah? That's all right. Yeah. 
Okay, so um, I'm just going to... I'm going to read a few things out. So um, just thinking about why I curate or how I think through what I do, um, I just pulled out a few passages from books that have been important to me over the last couple of years. So the first book is... Um, the first writer is Marsha Tucker. Um, this is from a book called A Short Life of Trouble, um, published posthumously in 2008. But um, Marsha Tucker was the founder of the New Museum in New York and before that was the curator of contemporary art or modern art, I guess, at the time um, at the Whitney. Um, got fired there after a Richard Tuttle show and then decided to found the New Museum as a space that can kind of challenge those formats. So I guess... I was thinking about that and I kind of came across this book. Um, so I'm just going to read a section from her prologue. To, and this, is a, this is a pretty... It's a biography of her, so it sort of goes through her life, but um, I just like the way that she talks about working with artists or working alongside them. And also um, she was working with conceptual art, so she was working in the 60s, 70s, so she was kind of... She was hired by the Whitney to bring a new generation of artists in, so she was really at a spot where it was like how how to create space for that in the, in a, in, in the museum. So I'll, um, I'll, I'll read from Marsha now. Um, the work I like most is always the art I don't understand, the stuff that sticks in my mind but eludes me in every other way. It nags me, making sure that when I least expect it, it'll interrupt my dinner or my sleep with stupid questions like, why do I make you uncomfortable? Why can't you just accept me as I am? As with people, I've made errors of judgement, mostly because I have a predilection for the margins. I always feel that the margins tell you more than the centre of the page ever could. Loving the margins is risky because you're not only in unfamiliar territory, but often in hostile terrain as well. Studio visits are particularly fraught with hazards when the work is a radical departure from anything you've seen before. I never made the mistake of ooing and ahhing over the space or asking where I could get one of those adorable little lamps before even glancing at the work on the walls. But I did walk into an artist's studio and look around in confusion for his work, only to find that the enormous table I'd thrown my coat on was the art. It takes a while to get the hang of it, to learn to listen carefully to what an artist is saying, to suspend judgment, to avoid thinking about whether or not you can use the art you're looking at. When I first started going to studios, I was looking for work that met my own terms, even if I couldn't quite define them. But after a while, I realised that I was approaching the whole enterprise from the wrong end. I needed to find out what the work's terms were and then see if I could stretch my own understanding to meet them. So, I guess I think about um, curating as a strange process or a practice because in many ways you're building a narrative or an argument um, or a thematic, but using other people's artwork to tell a story. So it's quite a... That push and pull I find kind of quite a difficult place to inhabit. So I, I, just, I like what Marsha talks about in terms of that openness and inquisitiveness and, and sort of I talk, think about sending a question as opposed to an answer and working from that point. Okay, the next book I'm going to read from is Dave Hickey, Pirates and Farmers. Um, I'm just, I might just read this one out because it's a bit more fun. Um, all human creatures are divided into two groups. There are pirates and there are farmers. Farmers build fences and control territory. Pirates tear down fences and cross borders. There are good pirates and bad pirates, good farmers and bad pirates, but there are only pirates and farmers. 
There are diff- very different kinds. They are very different kinds of creatures, and some pirates even recognise the importance of farmers. Farmers, on the other hand, always hate pirates. What's more, farmers always recognise pirates, even when the pirate being recognised has yet to recognise him or herself as a pirate. I hope, you, hope you're following. <laughs> Sorry, it's a bit tricky. Um, in order to find out if you are a pirate, you should try some things out. Enter the territory of some farmer-friendly enterprise, like the Department of Motor Vehicles or the Student Union at the University of Alabama. If everyone glares at you sullenly, you may be a pirate. <laughs> if you think you are a pirate, ablaze with aspiration, you probably are. Embrace your moment of self-awareness and get on with life. You are not the only pirate in the world, and remember, pirates are born and not made. Uh, it goes on for a while, so I'm just going to read another last little bit from that section. Um, the good thing about farming is that it keeps you busy at home and pays steady subsidies. The good thing about piracy is that it is cosmopolitan. You get to move around, and when it pays at all, it pays very well. Yeah. I don't know if I... Do I need to explain that anymore? That's quite clear about the state, you know? I've got... What have I got written down here? I've got... Okay, what the space of art opens up, to, that I see the space of art opening up, that art is a place or thing that challenges the usual ways of living and thinking. So that's, that's, that's what that means to me. Um, okay, the last um, book I'm going to read for, I'm sorry, Lisa Radford, because you're going to get um, mentioned quite a bit today. Um, this is a book I published this, of Lisa Radford's writing, an artist I worked with last year, um, an anthology of 20 years of writing about um, of her writing about artists in Melbourne I'm actually going to read something that Jared Rawlins who's currently the curator at um, Mona in Hobart wrote as an introduction so but he's, um, he's, he's, he's talking about Lisa and his relationship to writing and their friendship um, so Lisa and I share a methodology for writing about art which is to not really write about it, not to describe it or make definitions for it On many occasions, I'm sure we weren't even thinking about art. That's the point. We write around it, through it, under it, but not really about it. The way I approach this is to imagine that I'm writing notes to my friends and that nobody really outside of this friendship group will read the text. And maybe this is true. Maybe nobody else does read these texts. Maybe you're not reading this. Maybe you're not reading this. Either way, I have established a fail-safe method of writing all sorts of guff, both cogent and incoherent. This writing to your friends thing, with its seemingly unstructured, unintentional, aimless strategy of not writing about something directly or with a sense of distance examination, can easily be seen as an exercise in producing metaphors, but it's not. It might be more interesting than that because it creates a bigger intellectual space for debate, and that is the goal. Art writing to your friends is a version of imagining your audience naked. This methodology means that I am free to make mistakes, understand existing arguments and discourses incoherently or not at all. It's not an approach designed to undermine existing discourses. That is, that is simply arrogant and naive. And you can see this approach a mile off. In fact, that is the essence of what makes bad art, to attack the dominant discourse for no other purpose than to attack or mock it. Pointless. Whereas writing to your friends serves a communicative purpose that most other art writing can't. This is not a diatribe about outsider writers infiltrating some kind of illustrious intellectual space reserved for others, even though I admit it could easily be mistaken for one, because that shit doesn't really exist anyway. It's an illusion that there is a specialised writing context that dominates a particular art scene, which is in our case, which in our case is white Western-centric art being made in Australia. What we are talking about here is art writing, straight up. Art theory, art criticism, art history. And the purpose of art writing is to describe, explain and produce meaning for art. Some people writing about art are very good at getting bogged down 
with looking at the right idea, the magpie approach to using theory and criticism, or at least an interesting idea. And this is where convolution can stem from, which is not to be confused or interchanged with complexity. They are not the same thing. I think complexity is to be embraced, but it also needs to be uncluttered. This may be the motive for infiltration. I'm not sure, as I'm completely unaware of my motives, and I think leases keep shifting. As you may gather from this text, in my opinion, art writing is often filled with lofty ideas that impose themselves on art in an extraneous and bullish manner. This is what Lisa and I saw when we arrived. At first, everything seemed shiny. The young bowerbird artist heads into the academy, nipping around looking for the plan and the solution. But you don't need to. The institution needs you to bring the plan and the solution. Otherwise, there's nothing there at all, except objects. Sorry, that was a long one. Um, I think I, I just drew out the line, particularly, I guess, from that text, complexity needs to be embraced, but it needs to be uncluttered. Um, that, yeah, that kind of gets to the essence of what excited me about that passage from Jared. So, um, that's, that's my reading. Um, my next little section is sort of, I guess, when I was thinking about communication, I've just made a list of notes about things... Uh, about ways of, of communicating um, that I think about when I'm building an exhibition or I'm, I'm working with an artist on a project. So um, the first term is directness, and I've got here, I don't like one-liner artworks, um, things that, that are divisional in a simple way, um, but I do like, like clarity and specificity. Um, sometimes the way to get to the universal is to be specific. Then in opposition, indirectness, so to quietly unravel something about the way the world is, or even better, um, a way it could be. Um, but then at the same time, I've got down, uh, if everyone likes you, it means you're, you're inoffensive. Um, I think about insincerity and sincerity. Um, like a note I've written down along the way is that this is kind of, it feels like there's this point where you've gone so, can get so far into irony and doublespeak that you've got to need to find a way back to something genuine and with effect without becoming sentimental. Anyway, it's kind of a double loop, but just the, the space between those two things I think about a lot. Um, think about like bodies and material and built form for exhibitions and physical experience as well um, for audience. Um, Humour as a disarming effect, high versus low. Um, I think about pop songs a lot and um, like they're one of my favourite forms of a, like of um, encapsulating emotion and because uh, there's something charged in that generic space. It's the opposite. Um, I guess a key thing I think about too is time. Um, I, my background is studying art history. So I went through uni doing an art history degree but with a focus on modern and contemporary. Um, I did an honours thesis that was looking at... Um, looking at a sculptural trend that I called unmonumental sculpture across 10 years in Melbourne, so looking from 2000 and 2010 and tracking that um, aesthetic and maybe the kind of um, reasons around waste and overproduction about why that came. So I feel like that's the lens that's always in my head when I'm thinking about contemporary art is um, how to, yeah, put it, putting a framework around current tendencies and trying to understand why that might be happening outside of just an artist's work or why they get to that spot. Um, the publication with, we did with Lisa is, um, oh, excuse me, um, the publication we did with Lisa is another good example of that. So that was like thinking through how to how to tell a history, um, but not speak in a, like a really speaking in a linear term, but not 
it's 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 talking about other artists and it's building a story in a much more kind of fluid way. So I'm quite interested in those ways of like capturing time but also keeping it open. Um, and then the last note I've got on this page is, um, and I guess that's become more and more important in my role at West Space, is about who gets to speak, when and how. Um, I can see a lot of younger artists in Melbourne sort of, um, and, and probably more broadly but definitely in our program this year, um, that are working around breaking up language and history and identity. So I'm thinking of like Bryony Galligan and Rosie Isaac, Mel Dearson, Nicholas Smith and Callum McGrath all did shows this year that were really sort of um, questioning that learned history or that learned identity in sort of really subtle ways. So how are we going with time, Jan? Uh, you can keep spending time. Okay, because yeah. um, I've got. <laughs> I was just going to go through some key projects. Like, yeah, no, a do that. Bit. So yeah. you've you've used half of your allocated time. Okay, <laughs> but you know, there's no pressure to stick to a particular yeah. number of minutes. That's right. I'll do that. Sorry, Lisa, because I'm going to talk about your show now. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I guess um, yeah, like I'm reasonably like I've been working since 2011, but I've been at West Space, which has been sort of my leadership role um, and kind of being able to commission um, solo projects and group shows for a couple of years. So I'm still really learning and trying things out. Um, and so the first show I did was commission a solo project by Lisa Radford called Dear Masada All at Once, um, Get a get a Life, The Only Thing That Cuts Through the Species Is Death. Um, I would love to have images, but yeah, unfortunately, not to be the case tonight. Um, so that was, it's a bit, the, the logic of how that came to be starts with a group exhibition of artworks. Um, and then uh, how, how, to, how to turn them into characters in a play and a script is written with a group of people that um, imagine these paintings or artworks as their own, kind of having their own agency and identity, that's turned into a script that's then performed in the gallery. Um, so that was, that was the project. Um, and I, when I'm thinking about communication, it was like it was a project that we could only perform for financial reasons, etc. We could only perform it three times, but it was a show that's booked for seven weeks. Um, so we really we worked quite hard around the idea of like well what what happened well when Lisa did I should say um like, well what happens in the space when it's empty and so um uh, and it was a show that was very much about sort of um, presence and and emptiness um, and and bodies and liveness and so um, and being kind of invited it was like, it involved like a big group of collaborators so it was very much about like collectivity. Um, and so we didn't want to like have people come to the gallery and not and it to be dead or be, or feel like uninvited. So we had a um, Lisa wrote a um, script um, or an invitation script that was performed to any visitor to the gallery that came in when the three during times when the um, three performance went on. So I could just quite th like thinking about that space. So like, what is the experience of the audience? How do you tell that story beyond like the kind of thing that's meant to be the set experience? Um, and then I'm just got here. What did I learn from that project? So it was my first time working with performance, um, and there's I think something quite special about yeah um, the liveness and the immediacy of the gesture and the body. Um, it was 
it was a play that was performed. There was like ten actors, and they would break apart at points and and talk directly to audience members. So there were things happening in multiple rooms all at the same time, um, different people being addressed. And so this idea of multiplicity, or that there's things happening simultaneously, and that you know d- different encounters are engendered constantly. There was something, yeah, the messiness, the com- the contradictoriness of that. I, I, I kind of really appreciate that, like kind of splitting apart that like linear narrative um and also just i think in talking about communication from the point of view of like not making sense is quite an absurd experience many ways i think lisa talks about like beckett being an influence so that if you if you think about that's where the project comes from um and also this idea i think the opposite of what i'm talking about is around yeah authorship and authenticity so it was also kind of really breaking the part of yeah, this like authorship was collective, and it was turning someone's artwork into a different thing. So there was all these ideas of breaking that apart um, that I just yeah that I that I found quite interesting. Next project is um, uh, the show we have on at the moment. So yeah, uh, West Space we do it's a kind of mixed program, but once a year at the moment we invite um, an artist to do something across the whole space, so it's a much bigger commission with a much larger budget for someone that perhaps hasn't had that opportunity to work at that scale previously. So at the moment we have a project by Jason Fu, who's a Sydney-based artist, um, and it's called My Parents Met at the Fish Markets. Um, And different to Lisa's, it's very materially focused. It's an installation across the whole gallery, and it's quite experiential so it's like is a fish that you need to walk through to get into the main gallery so it's like there's a tunnel and um there's like black tarp across the whole space the gallery doesn't look like a white gallery space anymore um yeah this and then this show i i asked i asked jason i wanted to work with jason because i did want to see the gallery transformed in my time i've never seen it kind of turn into something else completely um but I also was really interested in um, his uh, Australian but with Chinese and Vietnamese heritage and his work really talks about that live, the experience of living between or in those cultures. So, um, yeah, I really wanted to bring that conversation about diaspora and race. And he's 28, I think, so kind of a younger voice, like so similar to the... Yeah, many, like, age of a lot of the artists we work with. Um, and I just really like this space. He was rather than sort of going back to a heritage or, like, his family, he's sort of living... He's talking about a very active living culture and in between these spaces, which I was kind of... was quite excited to... wanted to bring that um, conversation to West Space. Um, but so, essentially, it's called... The show's called My Parents Met at the Fish Markets and he's... Yeah, so it's, it's, a, it's autobiography, it's self-portraiture, but it's also talking about... A, he starts at a time before he exists, so he's talking about memory and family history um, and this sort of in and out of time. Um, yeah, and I think what you get from that show when I'm, when I'm thinking about kind of communication through presentation is it's, it's very sensory. There's, um, there's sound, there's like movement, there's soy sauce that like emanates quite a strong scent. Um, and yes, yeah, so there's kind of emotionally complex atmosphere that's created and I hadn't worked with someone that could achieve that through material before um uh, yeah so 
that was that's the current project on at West Base. Um, and the last project I want to talk about is one that I um, a group show I curated earlier this year in July. It was called Real Life Fantasies. Um, in in a few words, it was well. It was inviting about seventeen younger artists from Mel- predominantly Melbourne, um, and looking at kind of coming out of me doing studio visits and seeing what were kind of common things coming up in in um, issues that, that younger artists were dealing with, and so I framed it very like the specific words I used were non-dominant perspectives on sex, sexuality, gender, desire, and pleasure. Um, so it kind of really had like a sort of queer and feminist perspective, um, but I purposefully didn't want to put those words around it because I wanted to keep it open. I just thought there's something that happens when you frame it as an exhibition under that kind of political term. So I wanted to, to use this sort of idea of non-dominant um, very specifically. And it was also bringing together a group of artists that some speak from a very personal place about their sort of lived experience through through gender and sex and um, motherhood but then also people that are speaking from a very much more sort of like um, cultural expectations and sort of suspicious of the sense of authentic self I think so trying to bring that kind of clash together and see how that worked um, so that was a sort of it's a mixed exhibition it was very materially based um, yeah video um, sculpture yeah, um, I can't. Well, <laughs> too hard to explain all the works in the moment, um, but yeah, I, mean, I guess um, there was really that, so that was my first chance was kind of like commissioning or working closely with younger artists and really enjoyed that experience. And so that was very much about kind of asking questions to them and then just letting them have the opportunity to come back with what they wanted to do. Um, and that show, it sounds like it might be kind of taboo or sexy um, when you talk about those terms, but. Um, yeah, what I found when I said that question was what came back was something that was quite sweet and um, there was this sort of, yeah, sense of interiority. There was a lot of, like, the body represented but very abstract and it was sort of like, um, uh, yeah, it was much more like a self-experience of the body and a sense of interiority rather than about how your the world presents to you, if that makes sense. There was, like things that kind of looked like legs or those things that were like, there was some cow poos that had been painted with nail polish. So it's a sort of abject, abjectness, but kind of, yeah, there was all these allusions to the body, but in this sort of soft way. So I was quite surprised about when you're talking about fantasy, what came out um, when asking that question. So that is the three. That's, that's where I've got to in my talk. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks very much for getting us that far. <laughs> That's right. Um, I'll, I'll come around with the microphone if everyone's got any questions. Um, but I've got, uh, I've got a couple of questions here. One is a note I made earlier to ask you about um, the future direction of West Space, but perhaps I can lead into that by um, <clears throat> picking up on a conversation that we've had informally in the past which follows on from your discussion of... Um, curating uh, non-dominant perspectives. Yes. And it's a question about the language of how you describe the curating of that. So in the past, we've had a conversation about the difference between two ways of phrasing the same thing. One is (laughs) curating works from artists from underrepresented socio-demographic groups versus deprioritizing the curating of works by artists from overrepresented 
socio-demographic groups. Can you expand a little bit on the difference between those two ways of saying the same thing? Uh, I think isn't that just a, like putting a positive or negative <laughs> framework, I think? Y- y- yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, look, well, <laughs> okay, so that is, if that might be I've the... I've never that, used the word socioeconomic in that mix. Yes, you, know, you probably yeah. didn't. I was struggling no. to remember the details of the yeah. conversation, so you feel free to correct me. But, uh, yeah, there's the word... I think what we've talked about is, is like, uh, we're, we're, like, at worst space where we can kind of, like, to reframe our, like... I uh, The easiest way to put it is that we work with excuse me, like underrepresent, emerging and underrepresented artists, but the terminology, yeah, can kind of have a negative con- connotation, I guess. So this idea of the new shift, yes, yeah, so I think what you're talking about is shifting it in terms of like who this space is for um, because it sets a tone that you're at a disadvantage or something, I think. Is that, yeah. Um, so it's the words that we use at the moment, but I guess it's just thinking about if they're the right ones in terms of how you want the artists that you're working with to feel that they're framed, yeah. And um, maybe that can be, or maybe it can't be, um, tied into uh, a follow-on question, which is, can you talk a, a little bit about the future plans for Westpace? Uh, yep. Um, we have to move soon, so <laughs> something that's probably kind of not... Um, that we need to work on <laughs> communicating to our audience, actually. Um, so we are, we'll be moving probably in 2019, so that has sort of led to a lot of thinking about the future of the organisation. It's still really up in the air. We definitely want to stay like in a city and have a similar scale organisation to what we do and work with the kind of artists that we do already, um, but we're still looking for a site. Um, and then also um, something that we're working on for next year is think like because part of our program is in, like invitational and part of our program is through an open call method. And so... Um, thinking, wanting to keep that mix, but thinking about the mechanism in which the open call happens is something that we're like, um, that we're working on at the moment, yeah. Um, thank you. And lastly, before I bring the microphone round, um, a, a question which I, I cannot help but ask because okay. of what you read out is, okay. are you a good pirate or a bad pirate or a good oh, farmer yeah, or a bad I farmer? I didn't, like, I, I should have, I meant to, um... Yeah, it's, Identify. But it's, it's a bit presumptive, I think, yeah. <laughs> um, um, I don't know about good or bad, and I don't even know if I am, because, like, I think there's this weird mix of, like, bureaucracy in the... Yeah, like, where the art... And, like, and where can radicalness sit, like, um, today? Um, but I would aspire to the pirate ideology, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so ha- yeah. Ha- how does a pirate run an organisation? Yeah, that's what I mean, I'm not yeah, sure. Yeah. I think it's, yeah, I'm not sure they can, yeah. You're a pirate farmer. Maybe like a cult. Is what? <laughs> that's true. It's a pirate ship. Captain, you need, captain. You need, a, you need a skull and crossbones. Yeah. You, you've, Lisa, have you got a question? <laughs> the pirate, I, I mean, it's sort of like that, and um, not like, I, was, I was more about what... And it's about being a pirate, to be honest. I was curious about how you orientated yourself you in an organisation as a pirate. And um, so maybe a follow-on might be, where have you pillaged lately? <laughs> I don't have no comment on that one. No, I don't think you can say that because one of the other questions that, I, that you fed me was what other practitioners have informed your practice? So that is a pillaging question. Uh, yes, yes, yes. Um, I was thinking about that. Um, I wrote a little... Um, I was thinking more about, exhi- I guess, in the idea of exhibition making, 
what are things that I've looked at in the past. Um, like Mike Kelly's Uncanny exhibition from 1993, which is um, about the uncanny and Freud's idea of that, but he brings together all his collections. He has a variety of collections of different um, uh, objects, death and um, uh, fetish-related, and he brings all of them together with um, a series of... Um, like uh, the kind of like mannequin works by other artists and sort of quite like that project both in theme but also this mixture of um, kind of cultural objects. Um, so that's something that I've been excited about lately. Um, the diff, there's also that, and then I also, there's the difference between like curatorial work and then um, um, like art spaces I look to. So um, I guess at the moment, um, like West Space is its own thing, but I've been thinking. Um, I did a research trip to London and places like the Showroom and She's and Hale and Studio Voltaire, and the way that they work closely with artists have been kind of quite important for the the broader work we've been doing at the moment. Yeah. Um, I have a question. When you were talking about this, the sort of list of things that you think about. Yes. When you, I think this is what it was about. When you were you were sort of planning yep. to curate an exhibition. Yep. One of those that you just mentioned quickly was high and low. Yeah. And I wonder if you could just talk about, like, what is that? Can you talk more about that and how do you decide? And, yeah. is, and anything else in that, in that list that you went through quite quickly <laughs> that is, you know, a bit more depth about some of those, the things that you think about, but mm. then what, what are the things that tip you yeah. about which way to go? Um... Like, I guess the high and low thing is what I'm talking about before is I try and... It's not something I've done too much lately, but I'd like to think about, like... Yeah, like, art, the infiltration of art into other areas, I guess, and into culture so that it's not so separate and that, um, um, I guess, the context of where you put, put the work that you're working with but also the other way around about what other material you bring in or how you speak around it... Um, even just, like, different formats, like, starting to think about, um, like, we've been talking a lot more, I think, like, Lisa's project and performance and just sort of, like, more around theatre and that different, and then dance and that kind of interdisciplinariness. Um, yeah, is something I think about. Um, the other question, I don't know... Um, it's sort of it's it's sort of like when you face a problem and then it's like whether or not you want to make people it's a way to how to challenge your audience I guess is is maybe what I'm getting at so it's like do you want to make something very clear and obvious and direct or is it better to be um, like to obfuscate a little bit and make that confusing and lead them in a different way I guess that's the point that I normally get to and I'm trying to think which way is the best way to address at that time if that makes sense yeah. Yeah, that makes me think about trying to find a balance between wanting clarity, which is something you spoke about, and yeah. then a dislike for one-liners, and a one-liner provides clarity. Can you say that? Can you say that again? That makes me. Th yeah, sorry about the helicopters. <clears throat> it cost me a lot of money to get them to fly over every five minutes. <laughs> um, <clears throat> that that makes me think about the. Um, the contrast that you spoke about, the dislike you had for one-liners, but then also the yes. desire that you have for clarity. Yes. And those are, that's a sort of a contradictory... Yes. I mean, of course, there are other yes. ways of having clarity than one-liners, but those two things end up being yeah. contradictory. Yeah. And so then how do you find the balance between them? Uh, I think you just accept that there is contradiction, yeah. Um, and if you 
trying to do it any other way, it's, yeah, it's not going to work, yeah. So I think you just accept that kind of in-between space is what, and yeah. Are there, are there other questions from our fine audience? It feels very strange to have such loud voices in such a small group of people, but that is the nature of public address systems. <clears throat> um, I think I've also exhausted my questions, so unless... Um, anyway, I only invited you because you, you have supposed to ask questions and you're just sitting there mute. Noted. Um, what, what's that? Yeah. <laughs> that's exactly right. <laughs> anyway, that's enough of that. Um, Patrice, thanks very much. No worries. Thank you very much. Sean. And thank all of you. Clap.